Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Been in a series on the book of Acts. We paused that a little bit for Missions May, and we're jumping straight back into it today. We're in Acts chapter 9 in a message that I am titling The Touchstones of Transformation. The Touchstones of Transformation. How many of you know that God is in the business of transforming things? God is in the business of transforming lives. And I think it's really important as a church at the moment, as we come to this Acts chapter nine passage, and I think it's important for the church global to be speaking into what I think started as a half truth and has become a little bit of a lie that is being believed in some sections of the church. And that is this, that God loves you as you are, which He does, But I think what we've done is we've pressed full stop there instead of saying, but he won't leave you as he found you. Yes, God loves us as we are. He meets us where we're at. That's the whole point of the cross. He came to us because we couldn't get to him. But the thing about him coming to us is that he then dies for us and he he gives us his spirit so that we might be conformed into his image that our minds might be renewed, that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are called in Christ to become like Him. Every day, every day, growing and growing in the likeness of Christ. And it's almost like we've said, there's a phrase, well, I'm born this way and therefore that's who I am. Rather than saying, maybe I've, got some stuff or maybe I, I, I think I'm a particular way, but actually by the grace of God, I can be transformed more and more into His likeness. I'm sick of hearing people just being rude to other people and saying, well, that's who I am. No, if you're in Christ, you're supposed to be being transformed into the likeness of Christ, which means you don't be rude to people, you love people, you care for people, you have humility, you have grace and you have wisdom and discernment, Amen. And we can apply that over a whole host of areas within the world today that when someone comes to Christ, his desire is that we would be from the inside out being renewed and transformed day by day, yes? And this is what we see in the life of Paul, perhaps no more radically anywhere in Scripture than the life of the Apostle Paul. We first met him in Acts chapter 7, when he was standing next to a bloke called Stephen who was preaching the gospel whilst being stoned. And at the end of Acts chapter, stoned for those of you who aren't aware means being murdered. And at the end of Acts chapter seven, it says that the people who were murdering Stephen, this preacher, this incredible man of God, as they were murdering Stephen, they were laying their cloaks at the feet of a young man, everyone say young man, named Saul. So this is a man who is zealous for what he thinks are the things of God. 
He's a, he's a Jewish man. He's an extremely well-trained man. He's highly educated. He's held in high esteem in a pharisaical, pharisaical community, so much so that as an act of honour, they lay their cloaks at the feet of him as they're going about murdering one of God's disciples, one of God's missionaries, really a follower of Jesus, one of the first martyrs, the first recorded martyr in in the Scriptures. And there's Saul giving his approval. That's when we first meet him. He is violently opposed to the church of Jesus Christ. And we pick up this story now in Acts chapter nine. Are you ready? And in Acts chapter nine, it says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's like, he's on a mission, right? He's a missionally minded man with a heart to destroy the church. He doesn't care if they're leaders or not leaders. He doesn't care if they're men or women. If anyone claims to be followers of the way, in his mind, he's like, that is opposed to the will of God. Therefore, I am going to take them down. Verse three, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, what we're gonna do at this exact second is I'm gonna pause. Does anyone here have one of the old school Bibles in their hands? Anyone got a a King James or a new King James? See, the fascinating thing, if you're reading an NIV, which we are right now, it moves on. But there is one sentence that appears If you've got a New King James Version, which is an, an older translation, this is what it says. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. We're gonna talk about that in just a second. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Back from verse five. Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and he didn't eat or drink anything. No food, no water for three days. How's he feeling? How's he feeling? He's pretty weak. I go like, half a day without water and I'm, you know, got a bit of a headache and not feeling so good. He's gone three days without water. So he's feeling pretty weak. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call 
on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised. And after he got up and was baptised, so when we believe, we get baptised. So that's just a segue. If you're here and you believe in the name of Jesus and you haven't yet been baptised, get baptised. If you're like, oh, I've been a believer for 25 years, can't really get baptised now. That's a silly thought. Stop thinking it. If you believe and you have not been baptised, obey God and get baptised. It's such an awesome celebration. Even if your testament is, I've been a believer forever, guys, and I should have been baptised 30 years ago, but it just kept dragging on and I never did it. So here I am declaring, this is my faith. Great, we're gonna celebrate with you in Jesus' name. Come and get baptised. If you wanna get baptised straight after this sermon, it's there, it's cooler than it was an hour ago, but we're ready to go. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. We'll finish a sec. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Listen to this, verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God and all those who heard him were astonished. What a transformation. When the chapter began, he's breathing murderous threats. By verse 20, he is astounding people with his capacity to prove that Jesus is the very Messiah he was violently opposed to five minutes ago. It's an extraordinary story of transformation, a story so extraordinary that about 22 years ago, I wrote a song about it. Now this song, let me give some context. We were leading a camp for young children called day camp because they came from three, oh, from nine in the morning to 3.30 at night. What do you call that? Well, you just call it day camp. <laughs> really creative. And so the kids would come and our theme for the whole week was Saul to Paul. That was the theme. We're like, we, they'd come in, we'd spend an hour in devotion, having some fun. Eli's here and he knows it because he's probably sung this song before. And we would, we'd, hang around, there'd be a message, it'd be great, then you'd have activities throughout the day, you'd come back the next day. So the theme for the whole camp was Saul to Paul. And on the Sunday night, it started on the Monday, Sunday night, one of the ladies, the organisers, comes to myself and my dear friend Peter, she goes, boys, can you, maybe, can you write us a song? We need a theme song, we need something for this. So we're like, yes. <laughs> we will. So we went outside, it's summer, beautiful warm weather, we're sitting on the steps, we've got a guitar in hand and we're like, what do we do now? Theme song. And something popped to our minds and it was Bob the Builder. <laughs> Saul to Paul. Oh, come on church. I'll give you, it's Saul to Paul, can God change him? Saul to Paul. 
All right. Soul to pole. Soul to pole. Beautiful. Now you weren't really following the melody. You were just talking, but that's okay. So we wrote a song, uh, Soul to Paul, and it, it, it goes on and on. And I've, I've actually found the words. Now again, I'm, I'm not vouching for the theological accuracy of this song. This was written 22 years ago. I'd only been saved for a couple of years. I was still learning things. So there's a few things in here in the lyric that, that might not exactly be biblically accurate, but you get the idea. Saul to Paul, can God change him? Saul to Paul, yes, he can. Now Saul was a bad guy killing God's people, sending them to prison and breaking God's rules. Here we go. Saul to Paul. Saul to Paul. Yes, he can. All right, now you're getting the hang. Stand up, stand up. We're gonna sing a couple of verses. <laughs> now, this verse is one of those verses, see, there's this myth in the church that Saul was on a donkey. The Bible never says that. I didn't know that when I was 18 year old. So just be kind. On the road to Damascus, Saul saw a bright light, fell off his donkey and lost all his sight. Saul to Paul. Saul to Paul. Along came Ananias and saw Saul's plight Prayed over him for healing. Now he's taken up God's fight. That was one of those ones where you really got to fit a word in. And you're like, let's just fit as many words in as we possibly can. Soul to Paul. Soul to Paul. Now Saul has been baptised, changed his name. To, see what we did there? Just put it, changed his name to Paul. Working for Jesus, he's totally cool. Soul to Paul. Soul to Paul. Yes, Two to go. He was doing it his own way. Now God's opened his eyes. He's cheering for the right team. Wow, what a surprise. Soul to Paul. Yes, Louder. Soul to Paul. Yes, okay, now we needed one more verse. And this verse happened. It's become the, probably the most favourite verse of the whole song. Again, Theologically, academically, musically, <laughs> maybe not so great, but kids love singing this verse. So here we go. Walking and talking, we're talking the walk. Walking and talking, walk, talk, walk, talk, snog. Soul to pole. Soul to pole. Well done, give yourselves a round of applause. You can take a seat. Wow, indeed. Stephen Furtick gives the church the blessing. David Shepherd gives it walk, walk, talk, talk, walk, snork. <laughs> uh, but it was great, right? So we, we sang that song, we sang that song every single day. I think they've now sung it for like 20 years. Every time day camp comes along, kids sing this song. It's great fun. And it gets the message in that God wants to bring transformation, Amen that God is in the heart of transformation, that God takes someone in their brokenness, that God will take someone going a particular direction which is far from Him and God is the one who can radically transform lives. And we as the church enter into that. Our lives have been radically transformed. Even if our testimony was, I'm a good person who was raised in church, the reality is that I was dead in my sin and transgression. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, made me alive in Christ. You know, that's our story. It's a story of radical transformation. And so we get to live it, we get to proclaim it, we long that we'll continue to be transformed day after day and we get to declare it that God has a better way for the world. That a world walking in brokenness, that a world walking in bitterness, that a, a world struggling for a sense of identity and purpose and hope, there is hope, there is purpose, there is meaning, there is joy, there is actually life to be found in Christ if you would actually come and die to self and allow the Spirit of God to come and fill you with life and life to the full. And here's the cool thing about transformation. Transformation begins with a single life. But when God starts to transform single lives, single lives are the very things that make up communities. And so the transformation of individuals leads to the transformation of communities. And here's the thing about communities. When enough communities share a particular worldview, that actually begins to shape culture. And so God is in the business of transforming cultures through transforming communities by going after the one. Amen? And sometimes we can look at the world and we can look at culture and be like, this is way too daunting. Look how far we've fallen. But actually, if we simply look next door and say, God has called me to one person, just minister to one person who can minister to one person who can minister to one person. Before we know it, the world can be changed. That's the story of the book of Acts. And as we continue in Acts and look at the life of this guy, Saul, who started calling himself Paul and others called him Paul. Literally, now two billion people confess Jesus Christ as Lord because Christ worked in one man's heart. God is in the business of transformation and there are touchstones. When we look at transformations throughout history, when we look at transformations of communities and cultures throughout time and space, there are these touchstones that we can see. You can see them in history and all of them are evident in this passage today. And so in the time we have left, I wanna have a look at a few of these little touchstones. What are those key elements that we see as God is on the move, as God is bringing about transformation? Do you know there's this amazing um, story in the early 1700s St. Paul's Cathedral, so the big, big cathedral in London, on Easter Sunday, had nine people in its service. Like the early 1700s, culture was falling apart, Christianity was basically dead, and yet God had a remnant. And that remnant got on their knees, prayed, And God did something radical, which we call now the awakening, the great awakening, the first and second awakening. God is in the business of transforming communities. Humanity is never too far gone from the reach and the power of God. Amen? And there are these little touchstones. So we're gonna have a look at some of them, okay? Uh, Here's the first one. As we go through this passage, the first thing that you're gonna see 
in any transformation, when God is doing something, is that there is a goading. Everyone say goading. Now we talked about this before. What the heck is a goading? Bailey and Levi, can you come up here? Let's give Bailey and Levi a round of applause. Come, come stand up here, boys. Now I want you to pretend for a minute that Bailey and Levi are oxen. <laughs> you can face that way, stand side by side, you're yoked together, you're plowing a field. Brilliant. Just stay there, don't look. What is a goad? A goad? A goad is effectively a really sharp stick or a sharp spear-like object that was used when the oxen started going the wrong way. And so what would happen is this, the, the pointy end would be used if Bailey started, oxen Bailey started going the wrong way, you could just give a little prod in the side and it would cause them to go back where they're supposed to go, right? Because it hurts. And so if you push against it, it hurts more and more and more. So the goat is simply a tool that would be used to just keep the ox going in the right direction. Thanks, boys, you can be seated. Give them a round of applause. That's a goat. So there's this really interesting phrase that we just read in the New King James, now it's not in the NIV. The reason it's not in the NIV is because they say the earliest translations doesn't have it in there, right? The New King James picks it up, most likely because of what Paul says in Acts 26, where, this, where he's recounting the story and he mentions, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. So likely what's happened is the New King James writers have taken Acts 26, they've taken this little bit and be like, well, that's Paul telling his story. So let's just chuck it in the beginning bit as well. The NIV goes, well, let's be a little bit more accurate. We'll just leave it in Acts 26, but we won't put it in Acts 9. The point is, it's a part of the story because Paul recounts it in Acts 26. And it's this powerful message where, where the Lord, as a part of appearing to Saul on the road says, why? Like, it, it, it hurts to kick against the goad. What's that all about? It means that something like a stone in Saul's shoe has been nagging him for a while. Something has been prodding and prompting him for a while. Now, maybe it was Stephen's martyrdom. Maybe as he stood there and he saw this man just boldly standing for Christ, no matter what was coming against him, maybe that moment has landed in his spirit. Maybe something is starting to churn within him where he's like, why would he go through that for this Jesus? Maybe in all his wisdom and all his learning as he's been reading the Scriptures, there's a nagging thought that's just here. And he's like, I, that's not what I've learned. I'm pushing it to the side. Something's been goading at Saul. Something's been prompting him. And what the Scripture's saying is he's been kicking against it. Which means oftentimes, who's ever met a really angry atheist? 
The funny thing about that is, is if God isn't real and they truly believe that, why so angry? Do you know why it is? It's a kicking against the goad. It's because deep down, something's gnawing at their soul. And I don't want to believe that because if I believe that, it changes everything. For Saul, I'm very comfortable. I'm in a very high position of power and authority. People lay things at my feet like I'm in a good place. I don't wanna believe this. And yet truth is prodding. And what you find, the more he kicks against it, the more violent he becomes, the more angry he becomes, the more he starts to prove himself in a way of I'm pushing against this new sect, I'm gonna obliterate it and annihilate it until as he's walking along, Christ is like, "Uh uh-uh, I've had enough. And the bright light comes and hits him. Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. I am leading you. I've been drawing you. I've been guiding you. Now listen to me. Here's the message for us, friends. God goes before us. God builds His church. Just last night, I was at a, at a 50th birthday party. That's right, I'm going to them now. This guy comes up to me and he's swearing a lot. And he's like, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, sorry for swearing. That's okay, mate. You're not a pastor. And he goes, why did you get into that? I got to share my testimony with him. And he sat there, tears welling in his eyes. He goes, that's awesome. That's awesome. He goes, I don't know if I could do it, but that's awesome. And I said to him, I'm gonna pray for you. And then someone came and said, it's speech time and our conversation ended and I was really upset. Something's goading that guy. And what it's looking like is a particular lifestyle, almost like trying to resist it and push against it. But I know that the Spirit is at work. Friends, here's the question. Where's the Spirit at work in your life? What is God goading you that you're kicking against and it's starting to cause irritation? What is the Spirit, who is the Spirit goading around you that if you would be bold enough to just step up and speak the truth, just boldly proclaim truth, you never know when the light will come. All through human history, every great transformation is a work of God. All salvation is a work from God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. No one can confess Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Spirit of God. God goads us. He draws us. He leads us. And as we resist, as we push away, sometimes even, it can get a little painful. Voyage of the Dawn Treader, anyone? C.S. Lewis? Eustace? If you haven't read that book, please go and read that book. It's an amazing account of this boy called Eustace who's a pain in the behind. And he's not a nice person. And even though there's been this goading, they're trying to be nice, they're trying to like, 
trying to draw him into a, a different character and he pushes against and he pushes against. Long story short, he ends up becoming a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> but then Aslan comes along and he finds this pool to wash in. He's like washing and he's washing, he's washing and the skin, the, the dragon skin's coming off. But what happens is that he can never do it fast enough. It keeps coming back and back and back. And eventually Aslan says to him, you must let me take the skin off of you. Oh, I feel like preaching that. And it says he rips and Eustace says it hurts so much. But in that ripping, in the pulling away of the old and the broken, the bitterness, all the old flesh, it starts to fall off and Eustace emerges as a new creation. Still Eustace, but a different boy. And that's, what God wants to do in us, get rid of the old and have us walking into the new. There is a goading from God. Number two, how we going church? Number two, there is always, always, always when the Spirit of God is transforming communities, it is always marked by the church walking in radical obedience, not rational behaviour. It is always the church walking in radical obedience, not just rational behaviour. Look at Ananias, guys. The Lord said, Lord called to him, Ananias, yes, Lord, in prayer, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying and in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Now this is from the RDSV, the revised David Shepherd version. I think Ananias was probably like this. I beg your pardon? It's probably not me. There's, there's plenty of other Ananiases around the place. Saul is murdering Christians. Murdering. Yeah? Murdering. And he's praying and the Lord gives him a, a vision or a thought. Go and pray for Paul. Go, go pray for Saul. He's just up the street going there. You want to get that right, don't you? Like we read this stuff and we're like, cool, he went. Can we put ourselves in Ananias' shoes for just one second? He's walking into the house of a guy murdering. He's probably murdered. Stephen would have been probably one of these guys like heroes, maybe even friends, likely friend at this time in the church. So a guy murdered his mate and he's like, I want you to go and pray for him because he's seen a vision. There's no wonder Ananias is like, uh, Lord, like I've heard about this guy, you know, he's doing damage to your holy, I love how he's very reverent in this prayer, isn't he? He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest who, all who call on your name. And the Lord says, go with an exclamation mark. This is my chosen servant. What Ananias does not do is rationalise the next step. Well, maybe I, maybe I could send someone else. Maybe, maybe I could send a letter. Maybe, maybe I could reach out from a safe place. What does he do? He walks in radical obedience. 
where do we as the church need to walk in radical obedience? Even when it doesn't necessarily feel like rational behaviour. Where do we need to step out of our comfort zones? Where do we need to take our stance? Where do we need to just say, this is what the Lord's calling us to and we are unapologetically going to proclaim truth. We are unapologetically gonna hold fast to the Word of God. We are not gonna go down that line. If God said it, we're in it. If God calls, we follow. Radical obedience. And when the church walks in radical obedience, transformation happens. Again, the great awakening, the church walking in radical obedience. Radical obedience. A few people saying, we are gonna go and preach in the middle of fields when no one did that back then. No matter what comes our way, the gospel is gonna go out. And the whole of culture got changed through radical obedience. Number three, what we see, I love this little passage from verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see, everyone say see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see, everyone say see. Again, he got up and was baptised after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples. At once he began to preach in Damascus uh, in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Friends, when transformation comes, this is more than physical sight. We see spiritual sight coming to people. This is more than just scales fell from his eyes. This is a man who'd been kicking against the goads, who'd been pushing against the church, who had all of this knowledge. He'd been studying the the Hebrew Scriptures. He knew everything there was to know about everything and yet he hadn't seen Christ. And in one moment when the Holy Spirit comes, scales don't just fall from his eyes, scales fall from his heart and he can see with spiritual eyes, he's like, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the earth. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the, the one that all of the scriptures point to. And immediately he goes and proclaims the name of Jesus in a way that baffles his former brothers. It's like understanding has just dropped, light has just turned on. All of a sudden, it's like this, I would call it revelation. He's got this revelation of who Jesus is and that didn't come through all of his study. It came when the Holy Spirit collided with his study and went, this is who Jesus is. We all need a revelation moment. We all need a moment of spiritual sight. We all need a moment where this goes from a book or Sunday school teaching or stuff I know about Jesus, to Jesus is Lord of my life and I can't help it. I've got to share this with other people. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. We need spiritual sight. This is what it's talking about when Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. Go there with me and then we'll we'll close in just a second. In 2 Corinthians 4, I love this where he says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. 
Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. So we're, we're changing. We do not use deception or distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, watch this, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and, our, uh, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Friends, the only way that someone can have a revelation of who Jesus is, is when the power of God comes upon them. And the crazy thing is, is that God wants to put that treasure in you and me as individuals to go and carry that power, that His power might flow through our words and our lives and actually by His might light up a blinded heart that they might go, it's the Lord. He's the answer. That scales would fall. As I look around the room, I wonder how many of you here have a testimony of scales falling from your spiritual eyes. We're like, I see, I see him. That's a touchstone of transformation. That's the only way transformation comes. So if you can come up, we're gonna close. But the last point, the last thing we see, carry on in this passage in Acts. Because what happens is after he regains his strength and he starts preaching, from verse 23, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. Let me say that again, verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. Good trick, mate. I know who you really are. We know who you are. We know your plan. But Barnabas, everyone say, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Verse 26, he's away and separated from the disciples. Verse 28, he is with them 
speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Verse 26, he is away and separated because they're afraid of him. Verse 28, he is with them speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. What happened in verse 27? Barnabas. Barnabas happened. One of the great touchstones of any transformation is that there are always Barnabases to every soul. There is always a Barnabas to every soul. There is always someone who will see the young person, Saul was a young man, who might be full of zeal and a little bit rough around the edges, but who does the work to say, I'm gonna take you because I believe in you. And while everyone else might not see it, they might not see the gifting, they might not see the call because there's a lot going on here, but I am gonna go to you, I'm gonna grab you by the arm, you're gonna follow me as I follow the example of Christ and I'm gonna take you where you need to be in order to become who God has created you to be. And the only way that Saul gets from here to becoming Paul over here is because there was this bloke Barnabas who was in here. Yes? We need to be a Barnabas. We gotta be a Barnabas. Every single one of us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And Jesus wants to raise up the next. He's got souls everywhere who He's goading, who He's drawing, who He's working on, who are encountering things and are confused. Just like young Harry here, who just walked in here and is like, what's this, Jesus? Yeah, let's get baptised. But we need to be, we need Barnabases. And the problem is there's not enough Barnabases in the church. There's too many people sitting over here being like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. So this is comfy, I'm gonna stay here. But if we're filled with Barnabases and we're grabbing the next generation, we're getting those who are different and we're taking them with us, we're training them, we're equipping them, we're leading them, then the Barnabases get to say, off you go. There's this beautiful picture later where it talks about when, when Barnabas and Paul, because that's what they started to call him because that's his Roman name as he's reaching the Gentiles and his Paul means humbled. So he goes by that name, but it says that Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul they called Hermes. So Zeus in the Greek mythology is the big dog. Hermes was a mouthpiece. So according to the people they were ministering to, who was the leader? Barnabas was the leader. But he's releasing the next. Over and over, he's, Paul, you're the mouthpiece, you go. Eventually, Paul goes to write most of the New, well, half the New Testament almost. He just, he becomes such a significant figure. He would never have become that if not for Barnabas. We've got to be a Barnabas. My prayer is that as a church, we would be a Barnabas. And this has been on my heart so much. I'm gonna ask Luke and ask Ben to come up. This has been on my heart as we have been, as I've been praying into this message, that we as a church, especially moving forward into the vision and the mission that God has given us, that we would become a Barnabas church. 
with all of our heart and all of our might raising up the next generation. They might not know what we know. They might not be able to do it as good as we can do it now. But the call of God upon their life is to take the gospel far further than we ever could in our own. And we need to be a Barnabas community. Remember what we talked about. We did this at Verdun a couple of weeks ago. I said, if the church wants to get older and more inward in focus, do nothing. Because that will naturally happen. We'll go inward in focus, older in age, and then we'll have a church of nine people on an Easter Sunday. But if the church wants to go outward in focus, it must go downward in age. And in order to do that, we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. We have to become like Barnabas, constantly, intentionally reaching and seeking the next generation and training them up that they might go and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who's with me? So here's what we're gonna do right now. Luke and Ben are, are with us. Ben's our youth pastor, Luke's our young adult pastor. Hi guys, thanks for coming. If you are under the age of 25, can you stand up for me? If you're here and you're under the age of 25, can you stand up for me? Don't be shy. Awesome. We want to pray over you and speak some words over you and encourage you. So everybody else, can you just get up and lay a hand on these guys? And at this point, I'm going to hand over to Ben and Luke and they're going to share and lead us in some prayer. Yeah. I just think it's a really significant moment what we are doing right here and right now that as the fathers and mothers of faith in this room, we want to speak over our young people. We want to see changed individuals so we can see changed communities, so we can see a culture that is changed. And what's been breaking my heart this week is significant young people struggling with different things. And my heart has been yearning and crying out to God. And we want to be a church family that can be Barnabas, can actually be encouragers. The word encourage just means to speak courage over somebody's life. Courage that they didn't have before. But as fathers and mothers in the faith, what does it look like for you to pray, for you to lay hands and speak courage? So in a moment, I'm just going to pray over this space. And then we're going to allow a couple of minutes for you guys as our church family to find someone and pray over them. And I know there's some spots at the back where there's lots of young people in a row. So maybe you guys need to spread out because we want to pray for you individually. So church family, just ask for their name. Maybe a young person has something on their heart that you can pray into, but let's be super intentional and super specific about lifting every single young person up in prayer. And I'm just gonna ask once more, can everyone who's under the age of 25 put their hand up? Let's just make sure everyone's got people specifically praying for them. If you can see there's more at the back, we need people praying for these guys over there. Yeah, thank you, church family. God, we thank you for the young people in the room this morning. God, we wanna see a shift 
that it wouldn't be generations that are separated, Father, but You are a God of the generations, Father. And we just lift up our young people in the room this morning that they would be different, that they would be set apart and they would be changed by You and not changed and shaped by culture and society, Lord. We pray for an impartation for the mothers and fathers of faith in this room, that they would be excited for the next generation. They couldn't help but wanna impart, share and lead and call out God-given gifts. We pray right now that there'd be a sense of prophecy in the room that we would be able to identify God-given gifts. When we don't see it over the young people's lives, Father, we call it out in faith. When there's a spirit of fear, doubt and anxiety, we rebuke that in Jesus' mighty Name. We pray for Your peace. We pray for Your security, Lord. And I just have a sense right now that there's mothers and fathers, biological mothers and fathers laying over their children's hands right now. And I just pray that this would be a picture that's not just up to them, but we are a church family. So we will celebrate and we will cry out together, Lord. So would this be a picture of family? Why don't you just start to pray individually over those people you're laying hands on right now? Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.